Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to City Beautiful Church. We're continuing on with our series called Charismata, where we're looking at the spiritual gifts that God has granted us through his Holy Spirit, and especially looking at the gifts that God gives us so that we can love other people back into his presence, that the gifts that God gives us really speak to our calling, our vocation, our purpose uh, in the world as the Spirit-led church that we go out into the world, we reveal the love of God in a way that it welcomes people back into relationship with him. Uh, So last week we finished what we called the fivefold ministry. We find this in a couple different uh, places in scripture, Um, but it's, it's five gifts that are kind of also vocations or offices that lay this solid foundation for the church so that all the other gifts can find their place and can really begin to thrive. Um, And so this is one example. We've looked at this a couple times, but Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And of course, you know, our grand vision for this year from the Lord has been about maturity. Like how do we raise up, not just as individuals, but as an entire community into maturity, which is known by our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with the people around us. And so those five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor, they kind of weave together this solid foundation that when all of those are present, and like I said, it doesn't have to be a particular person in a particular office, but those five attitudes are present. It provides this solid foundation that all of the other gifts are contributed. And so that's what we're starting this week. We're going to be looking at the gift of intercession. So I'm going to pray, and we're just going to jump right into this. Um, Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you are here and that you're still with us and that you are still for us. None of those eternal truths have changed regardless of our circumstance. And so God, I pray that even in this moment that you would be alighting upon all of your dear ones present, um, that our hearts would be open to receive your, your love. Our, our minds would be open to, to have that renewal that comes from engaging you, of knowing you, that our ears would be open to hear you speaking to each one of us. And, and maybe, Lord, there's people that are tuning in today um, that don't even know that they have the gift of intercession yet but that today may be the beginning of a journey for them in in embracing the call that you've placed on all of our lives, but that you've so specifically gifted some of us so that we might love other people back into your presence. So may the word of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, uh, gift of intercession. This is the beginning of kind of a set of gifts that I think are really gifts of perception, that are a gifts of understanding the reality behind the reality and beginning to operate there. So, kind of taking from uh, prophecy that we looked at several weeks ago with Sam and Kristen, we're going to be looking at discernment, wisdom, knowledge, and I think intercession kind of fits in with all of those. And so, I really wanted to start with that one today. So, how do we begin uh, defining what the gift of intercession is. 
intercessors intuitively understand the needs of those around them and address those needs in service and in prayer. And like many of the fivefold offices, intercession is not something that is only placed upon a select few people to do uh, on behalf of the rest of us. Intercession is something that we're actually all called to do together. But some of us are specially gifted. It's like it's woven into our spiritual DNA to to be on the front lines of interceding. And in fact, the word intercede means to to entreat, um, to, to, um, to ask for, to stand in the gap. And so some of you, um, you might find that intercession, intercessory prayer becomes really natural to you. And this might be a great indicator that you, you in fact have the gift. So in contrast to some of the previous weeks, I want to talk first a little bit about um, the personality of people that I've noticed that have a strong gift of intercession. I want to talk about what is the greatest gift that intercessors give us in understanding the heart of God. Um, And then we're going to step into actually practicing some intercession because you'll find that with a lot of these gifts, we don't know if we've been gifted until we actually exercise the action that that gift implies. Um, And it's not until we step into it that the Lord really begins to speak to us about this, in fact, being central to our calling. So first of all, a little bit about the personality traits that I've recognized from some intercessors. I like to think of intercessors as kind of sentinels of the community. If you think about like, you know, in medieval times or, um, you know, in a lot of movies that take place in that era, you have this wall kind of around the city and you have these sentinels who are basically soldiers that stand on the perimeter and they have, they're looking in two directions. They're looking into the city to make sure everybody's safe and thriving. And they're also looking out beyond the walls of the city to look for any kind of enemy attacks that would come against that city. And I think this is a really nice way to think about intercessors. They're kind of spiritual sentinels that are placed in our community that kind of, they, they establish this perimeter through prayer that keeps us safe and healthy and thriving. Uh, the gift of intercession is a very, very intuitive gift. It's kind of, it's something that al- almost comes out of uh, the gut because intercessors have this uh, really special ability to perceive the spiritual environment. A lot of times intercessors report they can almost feel the spiritual temperature of the room, which kind of makes it very similar to the gift of discernment. But they can kind of perceive the thing that's going on beneath the thing, the spiritual realities that are surrounding us. And that's often where they position themselves between what is apparent in the physical sense and what might actually be taking place um, in the spiritual environment around us. Uh, But because it's a very intuitive gift, like many of these perceptive gifts that we're going to be looking at, intercessors can often confuse their feelings uh, with truth. And, you know, we've done a lot of work in our community to learn how to discern between what is a feeling that we're having, an emotion, and what actually might be truth and learning how to read feelings uh, to believe that they lead us to truth, but they themselves aren't necessarily truth. So a lot of times, intercessors can actually struggle with emotivism, which is that they are people who are, because they're so intuitive, they're very guided by their feelings and their emotions. So whatever they feel like is true in the moment, well, that surely must be true. Um, And again, that's a similar um, trap for uh, people that have a prophetic gift, people that have a discerning gift, um, that they can get so caught up in confusing their feelings for truth. So they have to work really hard um, to kind of keep that discernment sharp. 
Intercessors tend to be very other focused people. Um, so one of the things that I think is actually the biggest indicator that you might have a gift of intercession and maybe you don't know it is if you're constantly thinking of other people and other situations and other events. Um, because it may be that the Lord is putting those things on your heart because he's asking you to intercede for those people in those situations. Um, so for an example, a few years ago, um, I went with some friends. Uh, I was living in Nashville at the time, and we hopped, kind of last minute trip, hopped in a bus, uh, drove down to Atlanta to spend a couple days hanging out. And I had a couple things that I needed to take care of, and I decided, well, I really need to get out of town. This would be fun. So I went with my friends. We pulled into this neighborhood in Atlanta that was like a really great neighborhood for you know cool shops and venues and record stores and all this. And as soon as I stepped foot out of the van, I just had this overwhelming sense of regret. Oh my goodness. I shouldn't have come, I shouldn't be here, I'm a terrible person, I've made terrible decisions, and I automatically entered into this self-condemnation that was coming from being in this space. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that, kind of this inexplicable, like, where did this come from? Why am I feeling so self-condemnatory all of a sudden? And as I'm wrestling with these feelings, I felt like the Lord said, hold on, pause. Okay, Ryan, look around, where are you? You know, and this is a very kind of arty neighborhood. There's a lot of beautiful diversity in it, but there was also kind of a seedy underbelly to this neighborhood. It's not, you know, the, the cleanest of places. And he said, look, look around. What if the feelings that you're feeling right now aren't actually reflective of you, but it's something that I'm asking you to pray into for this neighborhood in Atlanta. And it was this, just this little shift for me that was so helpful to go, oh, every time I feel these feelings, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's regret, maybe it's shame. It might be about me, but it actually might be me perceiving something in the spiritual environment that I'm being asked to pray into. And I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I have a gift of intercession, but I do think that's an example of how we are all called to intercede. But I think that's actually a very common trait in people that have this gift. Uh, another example uh, is uh, when you pray, do you tend to see results from those prayers? When you stand in the gap for people and for situations, do you tend to see those situations change and kind of come into alignment with what the Lord's desires are for that person, for that situation? That may be actually an indicator that you have a gift of intercession. Um, that being said, I think intercessors have to be very careful that they don't enter into what I like to call the Messiah complex. You know, we're all called to be Christ-like, but there's a subtle difference between being Christ-like and having a Messiah complex. And for intercessors, what does that look like? For intercessors, that looks like believing, if I don't pray, then God doesn't move. And it's my prayers that are responsible for the move of God that I see around me. And so it's very natural for many of us in our gifts, I think for intercessors specifically to believe, if I don't pray, then God doesn't move. And there has to be a submission in that for intercessors, even though they do tend to see a lot of results out of their prayer to constantly be submitting to God and believing that he's going to do what he's going to do, whether, um, whether we intercede or not. So that's just a few uh, personality traits that I've noticed in intercessors. I think each gift has this really beautiful and unique vantage point of the heart of God. And this is why I think it's so important for us to have all the gifts present within our community, part of why we're doing this, uh, this series. 
is that when we have all of these different gifts, it's almost like holding up this like beautiful, intricate diamond. And every time you turn it slightly, you get a slightly different angle and you're seeing it from a different light. And that kind of gives you the better impression of the wholeness and the, and the value of this diamond. I think inner, each gift has that unique aspect, that unique contribution to say, this is what God's heart for his humanity is really like. I think that's very true of intercessors. The intercessors understand the heart of God is to be welcomed into his creation. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was doing teacher, I said, you know, for us as Christians, everything is theology, which means everything that we believe, that we think, that we feel, that we do is in some way a reflection of what we think about God. If we believe that God is the ground of all being, he's the center of the whole thing, you know, he's, the, he's, the, he's what's at the core of the Tootsie Roll Pop after you've kind of gotten to the center, that's what it's really all about, then um, intercessors help us to recognize this very specific truth about who God is on a theological sense. And one of the, the most interesting questions to me in theology that I think intercessors have a lot to say about is, does God change his mind because of our prayers? You know, many of us, we grew up with this idea that God is perfect and he is all knowing and he is all seeing and he's everywhere all the time. We kind of have this huge picture of almighty God. And then we begin to wonder, well, what's the point of prayer then? Why would God ask me to pray if he already knows everything? He knows everything we're going to do. He's already ordained Everybody steps all the time, and this is kind of a giant chess game that's just playing itself out into eventuality, and he knows the future. Then why on earth would God ask us to pray? And I think intercessors kind of intuitively understand this. So I want to show you um, a very strange story from Scripture that I think challenges some of those assumptions that we have about the nature and the character of God. This is gonna be from Genesis chapter 18. It's kind of early on in the story of this man named Abraham. Um, Abraham is considered the father of our faith and of the Jewish faith and of uh, the Muslim faith. Um, he was the first person uh, that Yahweh came to and said, hey, um, I have a plan. I'm gonna save the world through your offspring. I need you to follow me into the desert and I'm gonna show you how this is gonna work. And so many of you know the story of Abram who becomes Abraham. So this is kind of early on. There's a very interesting story. I encourage you to go look it up. It's weird, it's wonderful. Um, but these three visitors show up to Abraham and he makes a big deal out of them being there and he feeds them and they tell him that he's going to have a kid and his wife laughs and then they say, hey, why are you laughing? And she says, I didn't laugh. And he says, well, you did laugh. And then two of them go, are going to go to the nearby town called Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, which again is its own very interesting and weird story. And I don't want to get into the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing, but I do want to focus in on this story that comes right before that. This is very interesting. So this is um, Genesis 18 verses 20 to 33. So I want you just to kind of imagine this scene playing out in front of you um, just to see if you can understand what on earth this has to do with intercession. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. These are some of the visitors that Abraham was entertaining in his camp. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, 
Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Would you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 people are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What, what if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, oh, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just one more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. What a strange story. We don't often get this one in Sunday school. But I wonder if it's a story we even want to teach our kids, because maybe, maybe you tested your parents like that when you were a little kid. They kind of established a rule, okay, here's what's going to happen, and you began to bargain with your parents. Well, what if it was like this? And well, what if it was like that? And what if I did this by this time? And very early on in life, we learn this kind of negotiating, which is us learning how to maneuver the tension between the sovereignty of our parents and the free will that we've been given as independent individuals within a family unit. And actually, when you grow up in a healthy, thriving family, you begin to understand that part of being in the family is not just blindly going along with the sovereignty of your parents and whatever they do and say, and just watching all of your behaviors, but actually learning how to interact and to create this healthy culture where everybody honors and respects one another. And I wonder if there's stories like this don't fly in the face sometimes of the image that we have of God as uh, so perfect that we've worked all the humanity out of him and he's rigid and he's unmoving and he never changes his mind and he never changes his heart. Because I think when we actually begin to look at the God that's revealed in the Bible, we begin to realize that that vision of God is not the vision of God that we worship, certainly not the God that's revealed in Jesus. And I think since the Reformation, the Protestant household has kind of worked itself into a corner um, as we've tried to uphold this idea that God is in control. Because a lot of times what we're saying when God is in control is that either creation moves or God moves. And God certainly can't move, so it has to be creation. But that's the place where we begin to write these narratives about if God is in control, then he ordains everything. He causes everything to happen. And then we end up in a situation we're at like right now, 
where we're continuing to fight this coronavirus pandemic. And we say, well, what is God doing with this virus? Did God cause this to happen? Or we look at race relations in our country and we kind of, you know, bravely face the history of our country, this original sin of slavery. And we say, well, why, why would God do that? Why would God, you know, we say let these things happen, but what we, many of us really mean is why would God ordain these terrible atrocities against humanity? When we believe this vision of God is in control, that he's making everything happen, before long we have to admit that either the vision that we have of God is too controlling or he doesn't seem like a God that's very loving. That before long, the more control there is, the more love goes out the window. But I think what is so spectacular about this story in Genesis and others and what we see in the gift of intercession in coming before the Lord and standing in the gap between creator and creation is that God is unchanging in his nature, in the essence of who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is profoundly affected in his character. You see, when we, when we take this idea of perfection and we make perfection about control, we work God into this rigid, dogmatic format where he has no emotions and he cannot move or change because to do so makes the whole wall fall down of him being in control. But if we, like the writers of scripture, come to this conclusion, like at the end of the book, in 1 John, in the letters where it says God is love, God does a lot of things, but God is love embodied, then we actually put, instead of control being the center of the identity of God, we put love. And when we allow that to be true, we begin to realize, well, love is not static. Love is not unmoving and unchanging. Love is dynamic. Love is affected. Love flows with the reality of our lives and is constantly adjusting itself in order to meet us where we're at. Love meets us in our highest highs and our lowest lows and is always eternally present to us, but with such specificity and tenderness that we know that it has to be something more than mere control. I think, believe God, if God is love, God is profoundly affected in his character by his creation. You see, if God is this unmovable, perfect, inert object, which by the way comes from Greek philosophy, not the Hebrew scriptures, then prayer is ridiculous. Why would we pray to that God? But if God is love, if God respects and cherishes the free will that he's given his own creation, if God wants to be welcomed in to his creation, then we realize that prayer is actually us entering into this divine dance, this, the, the Greek word perichoresis, this relationship, this, this constant giving and flowing of love, this relationship that is dynamic and moving with us through our lives. So then prayer actually becomes central to our understanding of what it means to be in love with God. And prayer becomes central to us wanting to see God welcomed into his creation. And is this not the vision of love that we see in Jesus? In Jesus, we see a God who responds, a God who's going about his business and people constantly getting in his way. 
pleading with him, yanking on his robe, uh, stopping him in his tracks, arguing with him even to get him to come alongside of them. And what we see in Jesus is continually the heart of God broken open for his creation. It's the God that's, that's affected in his guts that says, I can't not be with you because I love you. You see, intercessors intuitively know this aspect of the heart of God better than so many of the rest of us, that we are to enter into this perichoresis, this divine dance with God. And so how does intercession work? We've talked a lot about time orientation with these gifts, which I think is so key. The gift of intercession prays the hope of the future into present situations. That it's, a, it's, an, it's, it's an ability to have this understanding of God's will and desire and the future to which God is calling us and to call that future back into the present moment to see that become true. I, I've used this story many times before, but um, when I first came down to preach at Status, this is, gosh, ugh, nine years ago now, um, when I was a young man with quite less uh, facial hair than I do now, um, I was preaching on hope and the Lord gave me this vision. I have, actually have a tattoo on my, on, my, um, on my leg of this anchor that anchors the Christian symbol for hope. And I always thought about the anchor being anchored in this moment that no matter where we're at, we're always tied to this anchor and it's, it's gonna hold us tightly. But the Lord gave me this vision that actually the anchor was cast off into God's certain future and that there was a cord coming back from the anchor into the present moment, holding my little vessel. And even though I'm being tossed back and forth by the waves right now, and it seems really uncertain, I have this trust that that anchor is tied to God's certain future and that he is slowly pulling me into what it is that he wants for my life, even if I don't recognize it here in the moment. And I think intercession helps bridge the gap between God's certain future and present situations. And I think one of the best prayers that we can pray then in intercession is, may it be. What a great prayer, short prayer, may it be. Or as Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Intercessors have to be so um, fixated on the idea of constantly submitting to God's desires because that is, the, that is the antidote to this tendency we have to have this ATM mentality that we have these gifts and we can name it and claim it and God exists basically to make our dreams come true. So if we just pray hard enough, we're demanding that God fulfill our desires that are based out of entitlement. But good, healthy intercessors recognize not my will, but your will be done. And they pray, may it be. And again, this is what we see in the story of Jesus. In John chapter 17 is this beautiful prayer. Go, go this week and read the entire chapter. You're gonna find this is how Jesus prays. But there's this one particular point in verses 20 to 23, where he's praying for us. And so listen to the way that Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I love this prayer from Jesus because it says the goal of all prayer is unity. It's unity with God, it's unity with one another, it's unity with Jesus. It's this idea that you and God loves you and me as much as he loves Jesus. Think about that. God, God loves you and me and that we, the prayer is we would recognize that God loves us as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. And so intercessors from that, that kind of, that future certain hope of unity with God, unity among humankind, says, how specific can I make that call in the present today? When I'm thinking about individuals that I'm connected to, when I'm thinking about events around the world, when I'm reading the newspaper, when I'm on social media, how specific can I make that prayer, may it be, into these situations to see uh, the hope of God manifest in the present moment? I want to conclude with this beautiful quote by um, our dear uh, brother Henry Nowen, who was someone uh, who understood prayers of unity uh, above and beyond so many of us. Prayer is, first of all, listening to God. It's openness. God is always speaking. He's always doing something. Prayer is to enter into that activity. Convert your thoughts into prayer. As we are involved in unceasing thinking, so we are all called to unceasing prayer. The difference is not that prayer is thinking about other things, but that prayer is thinking in dialogue, a conversation with God. And I love that because it's integrative, that our spiritual lives are not this thing that is separate from our life, that we have to go somewhere else to be spiritual and to connect with God, but that we can actually recognize that we stand in the thin places between um, the spiritual reality and the physical reality because they're actually intertwined. They're here, they're together. It's just waiting to be revealed. And that's where intercessors live. And so we're going to practice some intercession today. Um, what I want us to do is we're going to begin with a prayer of confession because I think it's really important for us to kind of clear the space between us and God. I think you would probably be rather familiar with this, but a lot of times when we uh, are carrying the weight of, of sin, um, that so often can be the thing that out of shame keeps us from God's presence or at least affects the way that we perceive him. So being able to pray prayers of confession is so important for us just to clear the air and to open up. I think about, you know, the psalmist says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away as in the heat of summer. But then I confessed my transgressions to you. And I think that's as much for our own benefit as it is for God. And then with a clear conscience, with this open and direct connection with our Lord, um, we're going to pray through several different arenas. And, and one of the things that I love about liturgical prayer, having grown up with it, is that it often leads me to pray things that I would have never thought to pray on my own. 
You know, I've talked about this before, how sometimes we have prayers from the inside out, the things that are going on in our hearts and our minds, and we turn those into prayer. But sometimes we need prayers that are outside in, where we're being invited to pray into things that weren't necessarily on our mind in that moment, but now we're there and we're constantly expanding our awareness of the places that we can intercede. So begin with confession, and then we're going to turn uh, into some prayers uh, of intercession. So wherever you're at, um, if you can, I just invite you to bow your heads, but if you're visual, we'll have these, the prayers on the screen. Um, and just get yourself in a position where you're comfortable, where you feel receptive to the presence of God, that you know that he's here, he's with you in this moment, that he's on the edge of his seat waiting to be welcomed into your world um, because God is a gentleman. He never imposes himself upon us. He respects our free will, but he wants to be invited into that relationship with us in this moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. So let's confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. So just take a moment and whatever sins you feel like you need to confess to the Lord, just get that up and get it out and just lay it before him. to prayers of intercession. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to leave some space but some specific points for you to pray over each of these arenas of God's good creation that we would see him welcomed in and that we would pray his future desires into the present moment. So let us pray for the church and for the world. First we pray for the church. Grant almighty God that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. So take some time, pray for any churches that you're connected to. Pray for churches, our brothers and sisters around the world in other countries. And let's pray for our faith leaders. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations 
in the ways of justice and peace, that we may serve one another and serve the common good. We pray especially for our government. We pray for our president, Donald, for our vice president, Mike. We pray for our Congress and our courts. We pray for our governor, Ron. We pray for our county mayor, Jerry. We pray for our city mayor, Buddy. We pray for all of those in government at all levels. We pray for foreign governments. We pray for civil services, especially that are working against the pandemic right now, in the CDC, in hospitals, in labs across the country, for EMTs, for hospital workers. We pray for organizations that are working for social justice, especially against um, racism within our country. We pray for all who are called to the front lines of justice, that they would understand justice as you see justice, as reconciling the world back into your design. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Pray for the church, that we would continually be awakened to an awareness of our vocation to, to take care of the earth. Pray for all of those who are on the front lines of creation care worldwide, and preserving the beauty of what God has created and pray for any local initiatives that you might be aware of that are helping us to become better stewards on a local basis. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. So by name, let's pray for family members, pray for friends and close community and pray for your enemies. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them the courage and hope in their troubles 
and bring them the joy of your salvation. We especially pray for those who are fighting COVID-19 right now across our country and around the world. But we also pray for those with physical ailments, whatever it is that might be, they might be suffering from. We pray for those who are suffering in the mind, especially in this pandemic and in quarantine, for the lonely, for the heartbroken, for those who are grieving. And we pray for those who are suffering in spirit, for friends and family members who maybe are struggling with their faith in this season. Commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled. And we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.